Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Last week of this 13-week journey that we have been on, called Long Story Short, as we have gone from Genesis and today to Revelation. We've looked at 13 uh, incident, inciting incidents in Scripture, the creation, the promise, the exodus, the covenant, the conquest, the kingdom, the warning, the return, the coming, the rising, the mission, Last week, the church, and now, last but not least, today, we will look at the revelation. (laughs) Famous poet T.S. Eliot in a poem called Little Getting, it's the fourth fourth and final poem of a series of poems that he did called Four Quartets. Eliot said this, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place, to know that place for the first time. You know, as we look at, long story short, I think that's a good summary from where we're going to be today. In fact, we began in the Garden of Eden. How many were here with us 13 weeks ago? And we began in the, in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to end today in a dimension that the Bible calls heaven. Heaven. By the way, there was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And there will be a tree of life in heaven (laughs) when Christ reappears again. We are right back where we started. In the beginning, God dwelt with his people. He walked with them in the cool of the day and his presence was with them. And when we get to the end in Revelation and Jesus returns and we see a new heaven and a new earth, how many of you know the Bible says that we're going to dwell in the very presence of God? Back right from the beginning. In fact, uh, one of my uh, guys that I like to read, an author as well as a speaker that I like to hear at different conferences, is a guy by the name of Dick Foth. And Dick sums up the storyline of Scripture with three little phrases. God came to our place. How many remember that was the incarnation, right? The incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God came to our place God took our place. I remember he traded places with us. We talked about this uh, at Easter time, the cross, Calvary's cross. He took our place. God made him to become sin, right? He, he made him who had no sin to become sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. And so God came to our place. God took our place. And now he invites us back to his place forever. How many think that's good? To a place called heaven, right? He came to our place to take our place, and he invites us back to his place forever. So we arrive at the end, but how many know the end is really just the beginning? It's just the beginning. Revelation completes God's plan of redemption through history, and there's a glorious vision of that ending. In fact, the New Testament announces good news that the the ultimate purposes that, that had begun in Christ are going to be fulfilled, that Jesus fulfills uh, Israel's expectation of the Son of Man when he announces the arrival of the kingdom of God. His public ministry demonstrates the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of that kingdom in the here and now. 
And we see that in the healings and the public ministry as Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God through healings and, 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 and through his redemptive purposes as he came to save. Through the prophetic and the casting out of demons, the kingdom of God. His atoning death enacts a new covenant. And the story, his, his ascension then, his, his resurrection dawns a new creation. His ascension and throws him as exalted Lord. And with heavenly authority, Jesus commissions us, his people, to reach the nations. We talked about in the mission. And he gathers all nations into his church to display God's renewed humanity in Christ. And all of these are the themes that we have explored thus far in this series. David Palmer in his book, Casket Empty, writes this, at the same time, the New Testament also announces the full realization of God's purposes are still yet to come. The kingdom of God grows among the wheats and the weeds. Church leaders are in the pains of labor until Christ is formed in the lives of people. The church is the bride still being perfected. How many would agree with that? The kingdom of God suffers violence and an unbelieving world persecutes the church. False teaching assails the church, which has been entrusted with God's truth. The kingdom of God is inaugurated, but not fully consummated. And an intense spiritual battle begins. How many know that Jesus conquered? He conquered sin, death, and the grave. Amen? But how many of you know we still feel the effects and the weight of the curse? We still experience that. Although Jesus gained victory, we still live in the here and now. And in the here and now, there is still brokenness. There is still sin. There is still, uh, we, we are still experiencing part of the curse. That's why the mission of God's people and the church is to share the hope of eternal life to a broken world. And yet there is still so much brokenness in our world. The full realization of what Christ has promised, how many of you know, is yet to come. It's yet to come. Let me read to you what Paul wrote in Romans. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. That's what happened when sin, when Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and sin entered the world. It wasn't just the original sin and the curse that came upon mankind, but there was a curse that Genesis talks about, the curse of the ground, the very field. So therefore, we toil in our work. That's what Paul is writing. All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. That's the hope, right? For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, a foretaste of future glory. So the Holy Spirit is the foretaste of what we're going to experience in its fullness, the full reality that is to come. That's the hope that we have. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of God that we have now, is just a taste of what it's going to be like in eternity. Some of you need to wake up this morning. This is exciting. <laughs> this is exciting. Come on. We groan right now. For we long, oh, here it is, for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Oh, man. Right? 
We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including new bodies He has promised us. Woohoo! <laughs> Paul mentions the suffering of this present time. We still live in the brokenness under the curse. He's not re- referring to a, a specially difficult period of time. He was, he's referring to the present age. That whole history of creation has been marked by suffering. The, the catastrophes, the struggles that we face, the wars, the natural disasters, the, the internal conflicts, the power struggles, the crimes. This is all a part of the curse. History of individuals in large part is a piece of trials, the trials of growing up and figuring out what am I going to do with my life as we're approaching graduation for many. And marriage, struggles in marriage as you try to work through those things, struggles in rearing children, right moms and dads? (laughs) Struggles to provide needs, struggles with growing older facing declining health and death. What do, we, what do we do in all of this? Again, this is a part of the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat from it all the days of your life, but thorns and thistles shall grow for you. See, this is what we talked about. There was, there was the, the, the perfect paradise when, when God had created the world, but then, then sin and disobedience and the, the disobedience of God brought in a curse that has brought about future struggles. Now, Jesus Christ died and he rose again, and, and, and he defeated sin and death in the grave. But that will not be fully realized, my friends, until the revelation, until he's coming, until he comes again to make all things new. And that's what he promised, that he would come again. And we get a glimpse of what this is going to look like in the book of Revelation. We're going to go all the way near the back in Revelation chapter 21. And I love it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming up out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. After worship, Michelle Matillo would come, and she saw a vision during worship of a bride coming up and, and leading up to a banquet table. The Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me tell you something. Jesus is speaking to us today. He's inviting us. The spirit and the bride say, come, come. Look at that, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And as I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now here's the hope. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain (laughs) for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new man (laughs) I specifically just want to point out I'll wipe every tear from their eyes because you know what in the curse and under the curse there's a lot of grieving isn't there there's a lot of grieving there are a lot of things that make us cry there are a lot of things that make us Grieve, but twice there's an emphasis that says he'll wipe every tear away. It's a, it's a double emphasis. No more crying, no more pain, no more curse. You see, in Scripture, we get a glorified body. <laughs> and that includes glorified senses. Amen? <laughs> we'll taste and touch and smell and see and hear things that are imperceptible on this side of the space-time continuum. We're going to take off human flesh and we're going to exchange it for a glorified body. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. I'm looking forward to a glorified body. 
right? Yeah. No more arthritis, right? No more cancer. No more pain. No more fibromyalgia. No more aches. Come on. Come on. No more heart issues, right? No more cholesterol issues. No more sugar issues. Come on. Come on. We're getting a new body. I'm looking forward to some glorified abs. Right? I'm just kidding. The Bible doesn't promise that. I don't know. <laughs> what I love most, though, you know, you can talk about the glorified body, but I think what I love most about this is that we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. Right? It's all about Jesus. It's all about getting back to his presence. That's what redemption is all about. Redemption is really all about reconciliation. Reconciliation so that we can be back in the presence of a holy God, a holy Father, that we can commune with God on a regular basis. We can be in his presence. This is all about a person. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about his coming. There are a lot of benefits that we receive, but we miss the mark when we forget that it's all about him. That it's all about him. And that's what it's all about, the creator has bridged, the sin has broken and separated us from God, but we have a creator that has bridged the gap and we get to live in his presence. Woo! Now, can I be completely honest with you today? I don't understand all of this. I know, I went to Bible college and, and I studied all this stuff. You know, I, I've read commentaries. I've read, I, I grew up in the church and I've heard speakers come in and they've had timelines galore. I've had different timelines that have, that have come and, and marked out how this is all supposed to go and how the timing of all this. I, I've read the prophetic books of Daniel. I, I, I've looked at Revelation. I've tried to figure it out. I mean, I even read the, the fiction series from front to back, left behind, right? Man, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, right? How is this? But I got to be honest with you. I don't understand it all. It's a mystery. There are some things that I just, I, 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 by faith, there are some things I'm trying to believe and some things that I know I'm not fully going to understand until Jesus returns. Things I'm not going to fully get until Jesus returns. There, there are things I just can't wrap my mind around. And, and I think that that's normal for us who have finite minds. I mean, quite frankly, it's difficult for us to think outside of the dimension in which we live that there could possibly be something outside, maybe another dimension or, or other dimensions. In fact, 2 Corinthians 2.9, God says this, No eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We just, we can't comprehend it. No matter how much we try to figure it out, we can't comprehend it. Years ago, there was a, a Greek Orthodox theologian. He said this, it's not the task of Christianity to provide an easy answer to every question, but to make us progressively aware of the mystery. Progressively aware of the mystery. So I want to define mystery a little bit. I, I think it's more than, than a meaning that, that, uh, that, more than meaning what we cannot comprehend. I think in other words, beyond the constraints of our logical left brain, it, it means to fit more in, in just four dimensions of, of space which we exist. Mystery is the truth that we can't control and we can't contain. Again, this Greek Orthodox theologian wisely said, God is not much the object of knowledge as the cause of wonder. And that's what we look at. When we look in Revelation, we ought to take a look. And passages like Revelation chapter 21 ought to bring about a wonder. A wonder of God. A wonder of the awesomeness of God. 
And you know, I, I, I bet as we come to the end, there were some of you hoping that I'd come and I'd bring you some answers. But I, my, my job today is not to bring you answers, but I think honestly I'll bring more questions. <laughs> oh boy, that really brings us hope. Now you're ready to get up and leave. <laughs> no, I think when we get to the end of the book, what we arrive is a thing called mystery. Heinrich Zimmer said it best when he, when he said, the best things in life can't be said. The Bible calls it joy unspeakable, right? In other words, there are some things that just aren't accessible or expressible in words. There are mysteries that, that we believe as the people of God, and, and, and one of those is heaven. One of those is heaven. What am, I, what am I getting at? That there is more meaning than we can comprehend. Friends, there is more joy than we're capable of speaking of, and there is more truth than what fits into the four dimensions of space-time. It's called heaven, and friends, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So let me back up just a bit, because the final book of the New Testament, the final book of the Bible, is called Revelation. Revelation. And, and note that the words here is singular. It's not revelations. I've heard that before. It's revelation, not plural. And revelation means to see behind the veil, to get a peek behind the veil. The, the word, the Greek word for apocalypse means the same thing. You see, what revelation does, revelation pulls back the veil and allows us to see the single tended vision of God in his heavenly sanctuary. That's what the book of Revelation is. And the book of Revelation was written by John. John was one of Jesus' disciples, the apostle John. And it was written about 100 A.D. And John's an old man. I think it's worth mentioning that. He's an old man. And the book was written on, a, on a, an island called the Isle of Patmos. Now, this was not like the Caribbean islands. This was not a vacation spot. This was actually a place where they would punish you and where they would send you for a penal uh, if you broke something uh, in the court system, if you broke the law in some way. It was a penal colony in Roman Empire, and, and it's on this island in, in, in this place that he has this revelation. And, and, and this, this revelation, and that's what we find, the first few chapters are letters to the churches. He writes letters to the churches, and it's Jesus speaking to the churches. It's a revelation of Jesus. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to his church. And then in Revelation 4, we get a, a, a glimpse and a sneak peek of heaven. The angels and the elders, they're, they're falling down before the throne of God. There's a great multitude. No one can count. And it's from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. And you know what they're doing? They're worshiping God. Can I just speak an aside for a moment? If you don't enjoy worship here on earth, heaven's going to be miserable for you. <laughs> this is our dress rehearsal. All right? This is... You say, but I can't sing. That's okay. In heaven, everything is beautiful, right? We make a joyful noise. It's about worship. It's about honor. It's about ascribing worth to the Lord. That's what we see in Revelation chapter 4. And then what follows are seven seals and seven trumpets. And you've got everything from Armageddon to the rapture to the white throne. And you've got the book of life and you've got the tree of life. And it's an apocalyptic ending. It's an, it's an epic ending. To this long story short, it's not an ending, really, friends. It's the beginning. The beginning. Behold, I make all things new. See, that's the incredible thing. That you get to the end of the long story short and you realize that human history is just an opening act to this thing that we call eternity. 
Occasionally, eternity invades our reality, and we get glimpses of it. But friends, let me tell you something. Eternity is tough to comprehend. You know, I'm reminded when I think about this idea that, that really human history and everything about human history is not so much the end, but is really the beginning, reminds me of Winston Churchill's instructions for his funeral. You may have heard this before, but he had a bugler set in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral, and that bugler played taps, and our military friends know that that symbolizes that the day is done. But then right after that bugler, that first bugler finished playing Taps, Churchill had in mind, and he set this whole thing up. He played his last trick. He had another bugler that was positioned the other side of the dome, and that bugler started playing Reveille. And that was a symbol that the new day has dawned. And the Bible doesn't end with taps. It ends with Reveille. It's the mystery called eternity. Eternity. Now, this is tough to comprehend. How do we get there? How do we, begin to, how do we begin in our finite minds to begin to comprehend this thing called eternity? Well, let me, let me zoom out for a moment, and I, and I, I, I want to kind of help us understand. I'm not sure, you know, how we get there, but in your, in your journals, if you have your long story short journals or you have your app notes or something, I want you to write down two words. They're on the screen, adjacent possible, adjacent possible. I want you to write these two words down, adjacent possible. Pop, uh, possible. So in his book, Timeline, Michael Crichton uh, makes a, a fun observation. He says, if you were to say to a physician in 1899 that in 1999, movie images would be transmitted into homes all around the world from satellites in the sky, the bonds of unimaginable power would threaten the species, that antibiotics would abolish infections, disease, but the disease would fight back. That women would have the vote and appeal to control reproduction. That millions of people would take uh, to the air every hour in aircraft capable of taking off without landing, or excuse me, taking off and landing without human touch, and that you could cross the Atlantic at 2,000 miles an hour. That humankind would travel to the moon and back and then lose interest. Just thought I'd pause on that one for a moment right? That microscopes would be able to see individual atoms, that people could carry telephones weighing uh, a few ounces and speak anywhere in the world, telephones weighing a few ounces and speak anywhere in the world without wires, or that most of the miracles depended on devices about the size of a postage stamp, which utilize a new theory called quantum mechanics. If you said this to a physicist back in 1899, that all of that would be possible by 1999, and that prevailing scientific theory, if you were to say that, he'd say prevailing scientific theory, to them it would be impossible. There is no way any of that would be possible. So many things impossible 100 years ago, 200 years ago, even more than 500 years ago, there are so many things that were impossible. Now hold on to that for a moment. I know that was a lot to take in, but hang on to that for a moment. Because in the realm of innovation, there is a concept called the adjacent possible. And the adjacent possible was coined by an evolutionary biologist named Stuart Kaufman. And it's a picture of how transformation happens. And, and there's almost always a long chain of causality that leads to the innovation. And then there's a domino effect that results after that that's beyond our ability to control and calculate both intended and unintended consequences. 
All right, so let me, let me kind of illustrate this because I know I'm, I am going deep here and you're kind of like, okay, you're talking physics and all this kind of, my mind is just kind of, how are you going to do this? Let me just kind of bring it down. Last summer, we had to replace our entire HVAC system. Okay, we had to replace all of the heaters. We had to replace all of the, all of the, uh, the, the blowers, heat exchangers and all that. And we had to replace all of the air conditioners. All right, how many enjoy air conditioning, Right. I think we tend to take air conditioning for granted unless we don't have it, right? Now, did you know the invention of air conditioning uh, really was something that, that, that before the invention of air conditioning, the population of Florida was less than a million people. That was 80 years ago. 80 years ago, the population of Florida was less than a million people. Why is that? Nobody wanted to live in Florida. It was too hot. Nobody wanted to live there. It was just way too hot. And now millions of baby boomers retire to Florida every year, right? It's now the third largest state in the union. Let me go back. Where where did this happen? Back on a foggy night in 1902, a 26-year-old engineer named Willis Carrier was standing on a train platform when he had a eureka idea. He wondered if you could use fog to cool a building. He patented the idea. He pitched the idea at the St. Louis World Fair in 1939, and he called it the igloo of tomorrow. There's a picture I'm going to show you. He called it the igloo of tomorrow. There it is. And it was the kind of science fiction, 80 years ago, this was science fiction. Carrier, now a $15 billion business, and we don't think twice about air conditioning. We take it for granted. Why? Because it was invented and and used before most of us were born. So on Mother's Day, as mothers had an opportunity to birth their children, they did so in air-conditioned hospitals, right? We, We didn't even think about it. In 1880, going back even before then, an ice baron named Frederick Tudor would ship more than 100,000 tons of ice to warm weather places around the world. Now, we have a hard time with this uh, and, and grasping this kind of idea, but this first shipment was sent to the Caribbean island, and that first shipment was a total loss because the people didn't know what to do with the ice. So the ice arrived, and they didn't know what to do with it. They'd never in their entire existence encountered anything frozen. So they had no category for ice. It was shipped there, but they didn't even know what to do with it. What do we do with this? What is this subject? We have no no category for what this is, right? And that was true for the entire world around the equator, $200 million fortune, selling a product that cost Tudor, uh, uh, Tudor, uh, it it cost him virtually nothing, brought about what would today be a $2 million fortune. And he sold it for practically, uh, he, he sold it and it cost him practically nothing. He took it around the lakes of Boston. He would chip off ice blocks. He'd send it in sawdust and ship it off to the rest of the world. And, and why do I share with you that? Because 150 years ago, only nature could create ice. But Stephen Johnson said that the smartest mind couldn't invent a refrigerator in the middle of the 17th century. Why couldn't they do that? Because it simply wasn't possible. The adjacent possible uh, uh, wasn't there at the moment. So a basic principle of adjacent possible is this, that at any given time, only certain steps are possible. Now, I'm I'm getting somewhere, so just hang with me, all right? I'm leading us on a journey. So hang with me, all right? I'm not going off on some tangent. Just, just, uh, how many of you like mathematics? All right? Now, how many know you, you can't start with calculus, right? You start with arithmetic. 
right? Some of us have never got to calculus. Let me just be honest, all right? That's me. I never got there, right? I don't get it, all right? I'm still in arithmetic. You get arithmetic, but, but there's a couple of prerequisites you need to get to calculus. You have to take algebra, geometry, trigonometry. Calculus is the adjacent possible. You have to walk before you run. It's step by step. And here's what happens. Over time, the possible becomes closer and closer. That adjacent possible gets closer and closer as you take the steps that get there. Now, let me illustrate this. Now, I'm getting back to Scripture, okay? So we're in the book of Revelation, and I want to go to Revelation chapter 11 because you have to understand that John is having a revelation, and there is so much that John doesn't understand, and there's so much that we don't understand, but there's a section in Revelation chapter 11, and it's about two witnesses. There are two witnesses here, and, 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 and these two witnesses will appear during a time in history called the Tribulation. And it says there are going to be signs and wonders. And it says they're going to be killed, and their bodies are literally going to be left on the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And it says something that makes absolutely no sense for the better part of 1,900 years. It was a crazy prophecy. In Revelation 11:9. this is what it says. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Now, you and I just blow past that. Why? Because to us, this is possible. But you've got to understand that to John, this wasn't possible. This was before the advent of, of airlines. This was before the advent of television or the internet or smartphones or social media. This was before that. In other words, for this to happen, it would have to be physical proximity for every, every nation, every tribe, every language to gaze upon these bodies in their minds, in John's mind, then everybody would have to show up during that time period and be in physical proximity. But how many of you know today, that's possible. Through satellites, that's possible. 24 satellites, six, six different orbital planes, an altitude of 12,400 miles can circle the earth at 8,640 miles per hour. And that's how you broadcast signals and stations all around the earth and what makes everything in this world happen in real time. In real time, you can see things live in real time. What wasn't possible is possible today. How are you going to have a, a chip inserted in you? How are you going to have the mark uh, and everybody have the mark for buying and selling and trading? Friends, what wasn't? And everybody goes, how is that going to happen? That can't happen. How many know today with the technology that we have, some of that is already happening? I hate, I don't hate to tell you that, but I, I warn you to tell you that. That what wasn't possible is possible. The adjacent possible is possible today. Things that were not possible, things that were impossible 100 years ago, 200 years ago, John was so out of his depth, he was searching for metaphors in writing this, things that he didn't even understand, but, but the Spirit of God said, write it down. And he's like a person living near the equator that had no concept of ice. He had no concept of these things. But friends, today, more and more, and there are a lot of things I don't fully get in Revelation, but I'm going to be honest with you, there are some things that I can say, whoa, we're there. That wasn't possible, but that's possible. I think this is a wonderful picture of spiritual growth, right? Prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled, it's going to continue right down to the battle of Armageddon. 
Every discovery, every innovation that happens, the adjacent possible gets closer and closer and bigger and bigger. (laughs) And that's spiritual growth is faith. It's the adjacent possible. You see, when the disciples first started following Jesus, when Jesus arrived on the scene and he invited them to follow him, he he took them. And all of a sudden, they're out in a boat and and by themselves. And the wind and the waves are buffeting the boat and, 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 and water walking. That's not possible. But then came Jesus. Out on the water. Peter said, if it's you, Lord, invite me out. Peter steps out on the water. (laughs) What was impossible with Jesus is possible. It was possible. They didn't have a category for a man born blind that that is suddenly healed. No, No synaptic connections between the optic nerve and the visual cortex of the brain. Nobody had ever heard of somebody who had been born blind suddenly having that redone. Nobody had ever heard of it. Impossible. No, with Jesus possible. With Jesus, possible. Nobody had ever heard of, of uh, d- there was no, no category for water into wine. Impossible. No possible. No category for feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That's impossible. No, with Jesus, possible. See, if you're near Jesus, then you're in the adjacent possible. You're in the realm where things are possible. That when Jesus walked out of that tomb, the the word impossible got removed from our vocabulary. Not impossible, but possible. That's what I'm saying. When you get to the end of the book, as you continue to grow in your faith, you realize that all things with Jesus are possible. And you get to the end and you stand on the precipice of eternity. And you look out and you go, I don't know how to make sense. I don't know this mystery. I don't know how all that's going to work. I, I don't understand this thing of the, uh, the Antichrist and the beast and the, and the trials and the tribulation. Are, are, are we, are we, are we going to, is Jesus going to come back, twinkling him an eye? How's that going to work? We're all going to go up. How, how's that going to work? Or are we going to experience, how, how, I don't understand. Oh, Jesus coming again on a white horse in the sky. Come on, that. That seems impossible. No, with Jesus, possible, possible. Do I understand it? No, it's a mystery. Friends, we need mystery. Why? Because God is bigger than big. We did that in the first first message. God is bigger than big. God is bigger than big. And God is what? Closer than close. Whether you feel him or not, he's closer than close. And as we sang this morning, God is good. (laughs) God is good. God is good. You see, you don't get any closer to the adjacent possible than with Jesus. Than with Jesus. Emily Dickinson had a little poetic poetic statement, and I just love it. Three little words, dwell in possibility. Dwell in possibility. And I love this idea because I think theologically we have no choice but to believe it because of God who is capable of doing anything in our lives. Heaven is the adjacent possible. And when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking God to do what is possible in heaven on earth. And then his kingdom begins to come and things begin to change. Now, how do we live? How do we live in light until the fullness of Jesus comes? Until what he has promised has fully come? How do we live? And I just want to give you three quick thoughts to to kind of close up this series on how we live. How do we live as we wait? How do we live in hope? How do we live looking forward? Number one, start every day at the judgment seat. Bet you didn't think I was going there. <laughs> start every day at the judgment seat. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is what 
the Apostle Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Wow. Does that make us think? The judgment seat. Come on, you're just pumping us up with all this hope. What do you mean the judgment seat? No, we got to begin at the judgment seat. Stephen Covey wrote uh, highly, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit number two is this, begin with the end in mind. I think he and Matthew Henry were on the same page. Maybe he read something from Matthew Henry because Matthew Henry, who wrote a wonderful commentary on the Bible, said it ought to be the business uh, of every day to prepare for the final day, to prepare for our final day. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our final day. And I, I can't tell you, I, I, I can't tell you where each one of you is going to end up. Uh, well, excuse me, no, I, I, I misread that. I can tell you where every one of you is going to end up. You're going to end up at the judgment seat. <laughs> the judgment seat of God. Whoa, that doesn't have to scare you. You know that doesn't have to scare you? Because that, that's something we can actually look forward to. Why? Because if you have given your life to Christ, if you have invited Jesus into your life, if you have asked Jesus into your life to forgive you of your sin, if you have, have said, Jesus, I, I don't want to rely on myself. I'm not going to rely on my own goodness. I'm not going to rely, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my trust. I'm going to put my faith. I believe in you. That doesn't have to scare you because the judgment seat is also a place of rewards. It's a place of rewards for the believer, for the children of God. We, we don't have to give that account for all that we've done wrong because the, what we've done wrong has been taken care of at the cross. And that's the grace of God. We get, we get rewarded. I, that, that is just the grace of God. We get rewarded for what we did right. I don't know about you, but that's a deal, isn't it? That's something we ought to anticipate. We get rewarded for what we did right. There's a book called Seven Secrets of Spiritual Success. It says, if everything we enjoy for all eternity is awarded at the judgment seat of Christ, shouldn't we know now what the Lord is looking for in our lives rather than wait until it's too late? Kind of makes sense to me, doesn't it? <laughs> makes sense to you? So here's what we do. We work backward. We start there and we work backward. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. That's the bottom line. Begin with judgment seat. Begin every day at the judgment seat. Begin every day by thanking the Lord. Lord, here I stand before you. Father, examine me. Let judgment begin with the house of God. Father, examine me. Father, examine my heart. Father, change my heart. Father, I ask you, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to change me. I ask you to transform me. God, I ask you to direct me, to lead me. I ask you, Father, to show me what it is, what it is you have for me that I can honor you today with my life. Every day, start at the judgment seat. Simple as that. Number two, this is gonna, this is gonna be a little, you're gonna go, what? Just hang with me. Go get some scars. Go get some scars. You say, what? Go get some scars. Can I tell you about the author of the book of, of Revelation? The one who had the revelation on the Isle of Patmos? His name was John. And, uh, and, and can I tell you what they tried to do? They, they tried to martyr. The, 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 those who were disciples of Jesus, they, they were martyred. And, and they tried with John. They actually boiled him in oil. That's what history tells us. They boiled him, and he survived. And then they, they, they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Now, how many believe if you've been boiled in oil, you have some scars, right? <laughs> His entire body scarred, and he got those because he was serving a higher purpose. 
Romans 8, 17, if we are children of God, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Listen to this. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are times where we live in this culture, we live in America, and we're blessed. And we like to seek blessings, and we like to hear sermons about blessings and how the Lord blesses us, and the Lord is good to us, and the Lord makes everything work out for us. And, oh, God, thank you for your blessings, 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 and I want the blessings of God, and I ought to pray. And, and God's just like this heavenly vending machine or this heavenly genie. And if I pray to him and rub, rub his head just the right way or rub his belly, then I ought to get what I want. Now, he's not Buddha, okay? It's not karma. It's not karma because we don't get what we deserve, Right? It's not about that. Don't believe that. That's baloney and that's not Christianity. All right? I'm just going to be real with you. That's baloney and not Christianity. It, 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 but, but we got to live in such a way where we're not so, so seeking comfort, seeking never to have a, a wound, seeking never to have a trial. Listen, we live in a, a sin-cursed world, and when you follow Jesus and when you obey Jesus, scars will come. Scars will come. That, that's just what happens. Tradition has it, King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table, when they would gather after a battle, he would say to them, show me your scars. And if they had none, King Arthur would tell them, you know what, go out and get some scars. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and mar yourself, all right? This is not a message that's saying, go, go, go be a masochist and, you know, and do that. But to be honest with you, there are some of us that we, we haven't experienced the battle scars because we haven't been living for Jesus outside the walls of this sanctuary. You will experience battle scars. When you follow Jesus, you'll experience some scars. You'll experience some injuries. You'll experience some things. Why? Because our Savior, Jesus Christ, did. And he said, if you, if you follow me, expect these things. And to them, these things were not a, a, a they, they didn't see it from a negative lens. They said, wow, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And I believe that as we live now, we ought to be ones that share in the sufferings of Christ. I'm not telling you to go seek out suffering. But when you live for Jesus, I'm going to tell you, the enemy doesn't like it because there is a spiritual battle that goes on and he will push against it. You will be rejected. People will misunderstand you. You will not be liked. And if you go through life constantly wanting everybody to like you, then you can't be like Jesus. Wow, what a Mother's Day message. But can I tell you something? When you think of the scars on Jesus' body, when you think of the nail-pierced hands, when you think of the feet that were nail-pierced, when you think of his side, when you think of the crown of thorns and the scars that were on his forehead, let me ask you, do you think, oh, how ugly? No. You say, thank you, Jesus. How beautiful. How beautiful. How beautiful. How beautiful. How beautiful are the scars of our Savior. You know, we have a tendency to look at scars as ugly reminders of injury and pain. But, you know, I think we need to look at scars differently. Because when we look at a scar, what a scar is, is it's an evidence of a wound that has been healed. Yeah, does it look a little ugly? Sometimes. 
But when you take a look, it's a reminder of the healing that Jesus Christ brings to our lives. It's evidence of the healing. It's evidence of the healing. All of us are going to have some scars, but I think, I think what I'm saying is this. We've got to give God everything we've got. We, we can't, we, we've got to quit living our life if the purpose, as if the purpose was to arrive safely at death. That's not the purpose of life. And at the end of long story short, God is writing his story, and God wants to write his story through you. Through you. So go get some scars. All right? Lastly is this. Simply one word. Come. Come. See, this is how Revelation ends. This is a long story short ends. Revelation 22, 17. Come on, this is how it ends. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears, come on, some of you say he doesn't hear. The one who hears says, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. Come, come, come. It's an invitation. God came to take our, God came to our place to take our place. And he invites us back to his place. (laughs) Some of you at the end of this series need to come home. Come home to the one who loves you. Come home to the one who created you, who wants to spend eternity with you. And it's three simple words. Sorry, please, and thanks. I'm sorry for my sin. I've fallen short. Please forgive me. Thank you for eternal life. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sorry, please, And thank you for what you accomplished on the cross for me. Friends, eternity is difficult to comprehend. Worship team, you can come. We're waiting in the brokenness of this world. And it's tough to find hope in the promise of heaven. Sometimes we might even look and think, I don't think I can believe that. That seems impossible. But friends, Jesus promised that he would come again. As he had promised in the beginning and the first time in his incarnation, there was a promise that the king would come. And as we've been through this series, what we have seen over and over again is that God is faithful and God keeps his promises, that God does what he says he will do. And friends, if Jesus told his disciples, if Jesus told us, behold, I am coming again, friends, you can take it to the bank. You better believe it because it's happening. And what seems maybe impossible as you take a look at all of the signs and all the circumstances, the adjacent possible is closer than we think. And it's time. His coming is closer than we think. So how ought we to live? Live every day beginning at the judgment seat. Step into the story and get some scars and accept his invitation to come because God wants to continue his story by writing it through you. So today, will you accept the invitation? Because with Jesus, the adjacent possible is here. It's here. It's now. It's now. Let's bow our heads this morning. If we were to begin at the judgment seat, where do you stand before God? His invitation is to come. But where do you stand? Do you need to receive Christ today into your life? 
Is there sin that is separating you from God? It doesn't have to today. For Jesus Christ came and he took on your sin. If you will but confess your sin, if you will but confess him as Lord, if you will invite him into your life, you will receive his invitation to come today. Forgiveness and grace and mercy and a restored relationship. The beginning of what you'll experience in the fullness of heaven is now and is here. And so today I want to ask you, do you need to receive Christ today? Do you need to accept his invitation as he says come? Do you need forgiveness today? Do you need to let go of the guilt and the shame? Do you need to drop the fear? Do you need to experience the weight of that sin that's upon you to be released? Do you need to experience his forgiveness and grace today? If that's you, I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come. To come and to give your life to Christ. I want to invite you to come and give your life to Jesus today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you just slip up your hand, Pastor? I I want to accept Jesus into my life. I need forgiveness and I need grace. Is there anyone all this morning? I want to give my life to Christ today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, come on. We had a few raise their hands today. Will you just pray? And if you raise your hand, will you pray today? We just want to pray a prayer and you just receive Christ into your life. It's a prayer of just confession to the Lord and receiving his invitation to come. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for what you did for me on the cross. I confess today that you are Lord and I invite you into my life. I ask you to please forgive me of all my sin and to cleanse me today. I ask you to come into my life and make me new. I accept your invitation. I surrender my life and I give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, give the Lord praise today for all he's done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.